God bless each one of you today, and those of you joining us online, we welcome you, and as always, we are grateful that you've taken the time to be with us today and to uh, watch the message and uh, be here with us. Uh, I know that uh, the Bible says that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And uh, today I want to take you into some scriptures uh, regarding a subject that I have titled, Enough. Everybody say, Enough. The first one I want us to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that today we live in a culture of people pursuing more. People chase after more money. They want more stuff, more recognition, more fame, more health, more power. They just want more. And when they get more, how many of you ever noticed it's still not enough? Uh, did you know that you can get more and have more but still be empty? I have read, I forget what famous athlete said this, that he had climbed the ladder of success in the athletic field only to find out his ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Once he got to the top, he was still empty. Once he got what he thought he wanted, when he got enough, he still didn't have enough. There was still something missing. And I want you to follow along with me the very first scripture here in Hebrews chapter 11, and you should have notes uh, to follow along with that will take you to the scriptures that I'm going to be reading. Um, verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him or God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Number one, you've got to believe there is a God. And secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Everybody say diligently. How many of you can do something but not do it diligently? How many of you have had a child and you had them to clean their room but they didn't do it diligently? You know, they did it, but all of a sudden you looked under the bed and it's like, hey, yep, that's where everything else went. That's not diligent. You got to put it all away. There's a place for everything and a place, uh, everything in its place, right? So we got to, when we seek the Lord, we can do it haphazardly. People can seek God for what they get from Him. How many of you know that's not the way to go after God? There is such a thing that I'm going to call the emptiness of more. It's on your outline. The emptiness of more. Right now today, there are people seeking more through religion. And by religion, I mean trying to do things to get to God or to get on God's good side. Well, if I just do enough, if I give enough to the church, I'll be okay with God. How many know that doesn't work? Well, if I give to the poor, maybe that'll be what I needed. That's a good thing, but that's not going to get you right with God. Uh, so, by religion, I'm just saying, you know, we as followers of Christ, we have more than religion. We have a relationship 
with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes the Pharisees were very good at this. They took pride in their lineage, okay, emphasizing their obedience to the commandments. You know, they kept the commandments. Remember the one rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, listen, my follower, you know, the foxes, they have holes, we don't know where we're going to sleep. Are you sure you want to follow it? No, I want to do all that. He, and he says, I have kept, I have kept the law from, from a boy all the way up to now. And Jesus looked at him with compassion, and he said, there's only one thing you lack. He was like, one thing. That's it. He did. He kept the commandments. He was a good man. He said, but there's one thing you do lack. Give everything you have, sell it, and give everything you have to the poor. Now, that was for that man. Okay, God doesn't tell everybody to do that, but for him, Jesus zeroed in. And how many of you know Jesus is not one to beat around the bush? He just gets to the point. And the point was, this guy had a problem with his stuff. And the Bible says that he went away sad. Do you know what? He had a choice that day to do what Jesus said or not. And he chose or not. Some, like the Pharisees, point to their rank. Some, with their money, will say, I'm better than him because I have more than him. But to to gain God's blessing and to gain God's favor, they unknowingly, what they're doing is they're hopping on a hamster wheel, so to speak, and there's always... Like that hamster, there's more for them to do and nowhere to go. They just keep going round and round and round and round and round and round and never making advancements towards God. Because when you're on that hamster wheel, there's always more to do but never getting there. And church, that only results in one of two things. The first thing is either you are a slave to your pride, like that rich young ruler, when you succeed, or you have a bondage to despair when you fail. Your work is never finished. Do you see what I'm saying? So that inevitably leads to, well, it's never enough, or I'm not enough. And see, some of us, that's what we deal with. I'm just not enough. The Apostle Paul, when you look at his life as a Pharisee, he had the lineage. He could go back in his line. He was a Pharisee. He said, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had rank as a Pharisee. Humanly speaking, there was plenty he could brag about, but you know what Paul didn't do? He didn't brag about it. Instead, this is what he said. He said this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, all of my righteousness is as dung. I don't have that scripture for you, but Isaiah, the prophet that I love so much, do you know what he describes righteousness as? He says, my, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. 
Have you ever, have you ever been working on your car, guys, and you, you've got that oil rag? That's not something you want to use to wipe your eyes with or your head with, is it? It's filthy. That won't clean you up. And that's what Paul was saying, or Isaiah was saying, my righteousness is like that filthy rag. The best I can be is a filthy rag. So if you find yourself today feeling empty and wanting more, and you are trying to get God's approval by doing more, you're on the wrong road. You're, you're hoping to discover in yourself. And there are so many people right now in this category in our culture They're hoping to discover in themselves what can only be found in Christ alone. Can I say this? Jesus is enough. Would you say that out loud? Jesus is enough. He's the only one who is. He lived perfectly as our substitute. In our place. He died on the cross. We should have died on the cross. The wages of sin is death. He got what we deserved. We didn't get what we did deserve. Amen? Do you know what grace is? Grace is favor that is not merited. You didn't do anything to get God's grace, yet he's extending it to you. And mercy is similar in that mercy is you don't get what you deserve. If someone gives you mercy, you deserve this, you deserve death, and you're given life. Amen. Sinners and outcasts who could never live up to the impossible demands of the day, they were made whole in Jesus. The woman at the well, when she met him, she goes out then and she begins to tell everybody, come see a man who told me everything that I did, and yet he forgives her. And it'll do the same for us today. Notice what Paul says. Now, here's the scripture, Philippians uh, 3 and verse 9 on your outline. Paul shared this. He said, this is how he wants to be found. And I think this would be very good for all of us. He said, to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through, mark this word, faith in Christ. It is impossible to please God without faith. That's what the Bible says. That's what we read in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to believe God because he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's not ready to knock you in the head and send you to hell. He is willing to forgive. Amen? He wants you to come be with him. And Paul teaches us that, that having enough, you know, being found in him, not having our own righteousness. In other words, I can't get enough in my own self, but that which is through faith in Christ is the righteousness which is from God. And notice again, by what? So it, it, it's the righteousness that doesn't come from the law, knowing right from wrong. How many of y'all know right from wrong? Now I want to ask this question to everybody because we're going to get there in just a minute about the, the commandments. You know, there are more than 10 commandments in the Bible. There are ceremonial laws. There's over 400 and some 
laws. Can I, can I get a show of hands? How many of you ever broke one of the Ten Commandments? Is there anybody in the house? You know what? If every hand is not up, I'm going to sit and have a counseling session with you because I've, 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 I've broken them. We've all sinned. And if you haven't broken the Ten Commandments, I'll guarantee you you've broken at least one of the 400 and some in there. Amen? Now, the Bible says if we break one... We're guilty of all of them. What Paul is saying here, watch this, he's teaching us that having enough and being enough is never found in our obedience, walk with me on this, to the commandments or the law. If you dot all your I's and cross all your T's and you keep all the law, but you don't know Jesus, it doesn't count. In fact, it's impossible to do that. It is found when we trust in what Jesus already did because he obeyed the commandments perfectly in our place and through faith, what he does is he credits it to our account through faith. From the cross, Jesus cried out. Do you know what he cried out? One of the seven last sayings of Jesus is, it is finished. Well, if Jesus finished it, you can't do anything more to add to it. It's finished. What's finished? God's fully satisfied with what Jesus did on the cross. Someone says, that's just too simple. I've got to do something. Well, you do. You have to have faith. You have to believe that God is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you with me? Anybody bored? If you're bored, listen to this. Think of a person standing on a crumbling mountain. They're right on the edge. And the worst thing they can do in that situation is to move a muscle because if they move a muscle, that whole mountain's going down with them. Guess what? They're helpless. If they do something to fix the situation, they're going to die. What they got to do is stand perfectly still and let the rescuers help them. Have you ever heard this, this statement? Don't just stand there, do something. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Don't just do something. Stand there. And let God be God. Many people, however, have they have trouble they have trouble seeing this. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 12. Spiritually, the Bible says we are all in that same exact situation as that person on the mountain ledge. Sin made us helpless. The Bible says they have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is none. But a lot of people, they have trouble seeing this. They're like a sick person who refuses to believe the evidence in their body that they have cancer. Now, what what would a doctor, can I ask you this? What would a doctor do 
with a patient who is in that situation and refuses to believe what he tells them. Now, I believe God can heal. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the reality of the situation. What would a doctor do? He would bluntly emphasize the gravity of the patient's condition for the patient's good because he knows I've got to convince them of the seriousness of their health before I can treat them. In church, without God, our condition is serious. Sin separates us from God. The people that don't know God right now out in our culture, they're in a serious situation. They don't know God. They are not going to be with God if they die without Him. That's serious. That's not just for tomorrow. That's for forever. God is bluntly, if I can use that word, presenting us with the evidence of our serious condition when He says, "Be." look at this in Matthew 5.48. This is Jesus, one of the first things that he preaches. Be ye therefore perfect, or therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Do you know that the word um, in the King James, be ye therefore perfect, the word be, the word be commands perfection right now. Be right now. Perfect. You're like, how can I do that? Well, church, you can't. That's what I'm talking about. He is enough. So what he's saying is that word be commands perfection right now. Like the doctor who needs to be as forceful as possible, Jesus adds, even or just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How many of you know God is not going to one day be? He is. Are you with me? And so what Jesus is doing, he is commanding an absolute, not a relative perfection. It's absolute. The standard to which we are measured is the Father himself. Now, how can we get to that? How can you and I get to that? Do you think that you and I could even do that if we followed every one of God's commands? Think about this. The rich young ruler said, I've kept it from my youth up. Jesus loved him. Jesus was drawn to him. But how many of you know there was still something he lacked? He was stuck on his stuff. He had a problem. He wasn't perfect. Even if he had kept everything, he wasn't perfect because he still needed what God did, what Jesus did. And so that takes me to the next topic on your outline, and that is, well, what does sin mean? Well, I'll break it down very quickly. Breaking any command that God has given, that's sin. Uh, The evangelist Steve Hill from the Brownsville Revival years ago used to say this, sin is anything Jesus wouldn't do. If you can't see Jesus doing it, 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 it's probably sin. Now, sin is a violation of God's law. It positions us against God's perfect will, 
And that rebellion is so serious that even a single offense, as I said earlier, and this is found in James 2.10. I I didn't write this down for you, but in James 2.10, it says that we are guilty of all before God, even if we haven't kept one of them. So we're guilty of violating all the law. You say, well, I've only, I've only lied. Well, you're guilty of all of it. What are you saying, Pastor? You're guilty of all of it. Well, I only committed adultery. Well, still, you're guilty of murder, too. You're, you're guilty of all the law is the way God will see it. And so that's why, can you see, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So the rebellion is so serious, and no amount of human effort, there was no amount of the blood of animals that can remove the stain of sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4. It just couldn't happen. How many would agree sin is prevalent? Well, you look out in our world today, sin's prevalent. It's just prevalent. And sin, everybody look this way. Sin is not only the things you do, it can also be things you fail to do. It not only includes breaking the Ten Commandments, but breaking any commandment like, like, uh, of God, like this one. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus, one of Jesus' first sermons, he said, uh, don't worry. He said, take no thought for what you're going to wear. Take no thought for what you're going to eat. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, be content in the situation you are in. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, Pray without ceasing or pray continually. In fact, the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, where I said it says, don't worry, it literally says in King James Version, take no thought. Do you know that when we worry, that's actually what we're doing? We are taking, taking a thought of fear that things won't work out. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have taken that thought? You've taken those worry thoughts. Listen, cl- listen closely. We take thoughts every day. Each one of us take thoughts into our minds every day. But I got good news. We're given some very valuable instruction in the next scripture of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. This is what we're told. We're told we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That's what we're taking thoughts to do. we got to take that thought into obedience, take it captive, so that we're thinking the way God thinks. Are you with me? Listen, do you know that something has to be alive before you can take it captive? The thought to eat of the fruit in the garden, that was alive in Eve. And you know why it was alive in Eve? Because the devil spoke it to her. And do you know what the devil does? He speaks lies to you today. Here's one of the lies. You're not worth anything. Look at that person. They're successful. Look at you. You're not successful. Church, that is not God. And if it comes out through a human's voice, that's not human either. It's of the devil. How many of you know that we can speak as mouthpieces of God? 
Amen. We can build someone up or we can speak as mouthpieces of the enemy and we can tear down. The Bible says that Jesus is ever interceding. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil will always tell you what you're not. God will always tell you what you can be. What you can do. Listen to the can-do messages. Listen to the things that tell you the words that say what you can do. The words that say don't give up. Listen, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. You're still breathing. It's not over. Somebody says, yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 89 years old. It's not over. God's still giving you breath. God's still giving you a day. God's still saying, I'm not done with you yet. So Eve chose the devil's thought instead of God's thought and did the devil's deed. Then Eve shared that evil thought with Adam. And here's what happened. Adam chose that thought over the God thought that God put in him. God already said, don't eat from that tree. Now he's got a choice. And you know what? That's what we're all faced with today is a choice. Are we going to live sinfully or are we going to live Godly. Are we going to live with God's thoughts or are we going to live with the devil's thoughts? Since sin is such a serious offense to God, no one with sin can ever enter his presence. The Bible in Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sin is what separates you from me. But God in John 3.16 said, I'm not willing that any would perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? I don't have this scripture there for you, but Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. You say, Pastor, I, I know all these things. Why are we talking about these things? Because I think we forget it. I know we do. I have never before in my life seen a society run for more than I do now. Jesus does not want us to live with a misconception or a false hope. What God is doing and what He wants us to do right now today is lay bare the seriousness of our situation. Because church, if I, if we, I, I truly believe that if we truly knew the seriousness of the situation people were in, we'd be more concerned about them. We don't just need help. We need a miracle. People today in America don't just need help. They need a miracle. And you know when you need a miracle? Is when no man can fix it. Can I ask a question? Is our nation in a situation where any man can fix it? 
No. Because here's the problem. It's not political. It's not just relational. It's not race issue. It's spirit. It's sin. I hate my brother. You're a murderer. That's what Jesus said. I'm just saying what Jesus said. He said, if you say, I hate my brother, you are a murderer. And then he lets you know, Lucifer, he was a murderer from the beginning. Adam and Eve's sons didn't take too long until murder came on the scene. And Cain hated his brother. He hated his success. He hated that he was accepted by God. But he did what God said to do. And so Cain killed his brother. And God says, because of that, there is no forgiveness of sin except by the shedding of blood. In fact, let me back up a bit. Animal sacrifice began in the garden, and the first one that did animal sacrifice was God. How did Adam and Eve clothe themselves? With fig leaves. Do you know what that is? The work of man. Trying to cover sin. Trying to cover shame. Trying to cover what they did. And God said that didn't work. And God, the Bible says, covered them with animal skin. Well, it doesn't say it per se as how he did it, but guess what? He had to have killed one of the animals that he created to cover the sin of man. Innocent animal, guilty human. And that continued, and that continued, and that continued. And God began to say, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so they would give those sacrifices. They would give those sheep. They would give those goats. They would give those bulls. And they were sacrificed daily. And then ultimately, on the Day of Atonement, all of their sin was taken and pushed forward a year. And it just kept on and kept on. and kept, It was a bloody business. But God said it, will, it, it never truly atoned for sin, even though they were innocent animals. Because guess what? Those animals aren't human. But there was a human. There was a man. There was Jesus who lived as a man and was tempted in all ways, the Bible says, just like we are. And yet he was without sin. And because he was without sin, and he gave his life on the cross for you and me, and died the death we should have died were made alive in him the bible speaks of 
three categories of laws. Let me just go through this quickly. The purpose of God's law, you know, some, some people think, well, God's laws, just, you know, this, this Bible is just a big rule book telling me what I can't do. But that perspective completely misses God's saving message. In order to fully appreciate God's love, we first need to understand God's law. The Bible speaks of three categories of law. One was civil law that governed the nation of Israel. The second category of law was ceremonial law, which dictated how Israel was to worship God in the Old Testament. And the third realm of law was moral law. And that is summarized by the commands of the Ten Commandments, how to love God and to love one another. That's what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he, that's what he summarized the, the, the commandments of God to. But the gold standard is holiness. And when you get right down to it, God's law is all about holiness. It reflects His glory. He is perfect in every way. God has no sin, and nothing impure can ever enter His presence. The Bible says that in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. Nothing will ever impure ever come into God's presence in the future. So the law serves as God's standard for access into His presence. And the Bible says this in Leviticus eleven forty-five: Be ye holy even as I am holy. And this is the way Jesus said it in the, in the New Testament. He said, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, which we looked at in Matthew five forty eight. And some people trying to keep this command assume that God means you should try your best or simply become perfect someday. Surprise. Not what it means. It means do it now. Well, how do I do it now? By God's grace and your faith. Let's work together. Accept what I did on the cross Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you're made perfect. And you know what? People say, that's too simple. You know what? I think that can almost be the greatest sin right there is to say, that, nah, that's not enough. Are you with me? You know, trying to approach God by means of your obedience to the law places you under the curse to having to obey everything perfectly. Look at Galatians 3.10 real quick. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. How many of you since knowing Jesus have sinned? If you were under the law, you'd be cursed. But you simply ask God to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to say God, what God said was wrong. He said, I came to fulfill what you couldn't do on your own. I did what you couldn't do. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't sin. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I didn't. Are you with me? All of those things Jesus did not do so that we would. But, you know, no wonder the Bible says no one will be be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, Romans 3.20. So 
what does this lead us to? Look at Galatians chapter 2. While we look at this, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine your grandmother had an heirloom vase. Very, very valuable. And you're roughhousing in the house one day, and you hit it, and it falls, and it breaks to just pieces. So you take the old super glue, and you put it all together, and you put it back. But you know it'll never be the same. And every time you look at it, you will be reminded of what you did. And in the same way, the law cannot save because if it could, Christ died for nothing. Look at Galatians 2, 19. It says this, for through the law, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live, here it is again, how? By faith in the Son of God. Why? Because He loved me and He gave Himself up for me. If you get nothing out of this message, put to memory, put to memory Galatians 2.20. If you don't have it to memory yet. When we finally acknowledge that we can never achieve the holiness of God's demands, we turn to the only one who is holy. Because the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Look at Galatians 3.24. You still with me? I'm closing. Therefore, the law was our tutor. It was our teacher. For what purpose, Pastor? To bring us to Christ. That we might be justified, here it is again, by faith. Do you see how important faith is? The ultimate purpose of the law is to lead us back to God and to trust in His solution. Because since we couldn't be holy, God sent us a substitute who could. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it. What the law could not do, Romans 8, 3 says, God did by sending His own Son. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, but He condemned the sin in the flesh. And He was perfect. And is perfect. So, I'm going to close with this. There's no need for more. I'm going to say it again. You have no need for more. I hope that releases you from the race of more. If you're looking for more, take another look at Jesus. Be ready for more than a surface glance because this requires, what I'm talking about today, church, requires a deep dive in 2023. It's going to take a deep dive for people in our culture right now to get what I'm saying. If you're still looking to Christ for what He can give you, you are missing all that He is. 
Look at Colossians 1.18. I close with this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. Everybody say, he's the head. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead? Death has no power. That in all things, all things, you say, Pastor, my thing, your thing. In all things, he may have, say this word, the preeminence. Say it again, preeminence. Do you know what that means? Top. You can't top preeminence. There is no, it's like the star on the Christmas tree. It's, you can't get any higher than the tip. He is the preeminence. In all things, he might have the preeminence. In the good times, in the bad times. In the relationship difficulties, he's the preeminent one. In the, in the trying situations of finance, he is the preeminent one. He is the top. There is nothing else to gain. There's nothing more to get. The end, the goal, that's what it's all about. It is found in Jesus alone through a faith relationship. You, guess what? God finds you in him. You are found in him, and you realize, man, Jesus is enough. And trusting in Jesus does not guarantee more I want to give you the promise Jesus gave us. Can I give it to you? Are you all right with this? Jesus didn't always promise you. You remember that old song back in the 70s, I've never promised you a rose garden? Jesus didn't either. What he promised us in John 16 and verse 33 was you're going to have tribulation. That's a positive message. Hey, church, listen to my message. You're going to have some trouble. In fact, you're going to have tribulation. But he didn't stop there. And I'm grateful God doesn't leave us in it. He said, but be of good cheer. Well, why? Because I've overcome it. I'm preeminent. I'm the top. There's nothing above me. Whatever trial you're going through, he will give you the power to go through it. When you go through the fire, not if. When you go through the floods, not if. And he's all you need. Stand with me if you will. Everybody say it. Jesus is enough. Some people listen to this message right now. You may be pursuing wealth. You may receive it. You may not. Either way, Jesus is enough. You may pursue long life. Trying a new vitamin regimen. I pray you live long. You might, you might not. Hello? Some people go to work in their car on Monday and never come home Monday night. Sometimes they're in their 30s. Sometimes they're in their 80s. I'm just saying, if you're still in pursuit of more and you insist there is more you must do, I'm just telling you, you don't. Disavow your own effort. You'll never be able to do enough. That's why religion doesn't work.
Did Pastor just say what I thought he said? Yep. But relationship with the God, God the Father through your faith, that works. Father, right now, all over this church and all over online, I pray for anyone going for more, more than you. You put us right back on our path where we need to be. You're enough. When we can't fix the relationship hurts and pains, you're enough. When we can't fix the situation of our family or our kids or our marriage, you're enough. When we cannot fix the issues of our day, you're enough. In Jesus' name. And as you leave, I'm going to just say this. Jesus, God, God, God said this in his word. And look this way. If you will draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He is faithful in that. He'll, you draw near to him, he's not going to push you away. He's going to say, come. Come, just as you are. Well, pastor, I thought sin couldn't be in his... It, 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 he'll wash it away. He'll take it away. Go in the power of that today. The Jesus is enough. I love you all. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.